0: Readings people, it is Nick Spoo England today, I'm going to be reading out of Werner Keller's The Bible as History, I'm reading the introduction, page XX1, that's 21 of the introduction. Actually, let's go back a little bit and read the introduction to this new revised edition of the book. I'm reading the introduction to the new revised edition of the Bible as History by Werner Keller. He writes, My book, The Bible as History, was first published in 1955. It was translated into 24 languages and used for religious instruction in schools, for Bible seminars in universities, as well as by Bible study groups, both Christian and Jewish more than 10 million copies have been printed throughout the world. Yeah, that is a big number. Since that time biblical archaeology has brought to light hitherto undiscovered facts by the use of techniques and the most up-to-date methods of investigation. It has been possible to confirm and reinforce a number of theories while other accepted opinions previously considered to be scientifically established have had to be called into question and the conclusions even of well-known scholars revised. In order to preserve the scholarly reliability of my book, it has become necessary to include the most recent research results. One cannot and should not shut oneself off from new discoveries, even if they are inconvenient. I would have liked to bring my book into line with the most recent research myself, but a serious illness of some years duration has unfortunately prevented me from undertaking this costly and responsible task. I've consequently been obliged, much against my will, to entrust this project to another. I'm happy, however, to have obtained the collaboration of Dr. Joachim Rehawk In his appendix he has explained the principles according to which he agreed that the revision should be carried out. To him I tender my sincere thanks. Averla Killa, Ascola, 1978 Okay, let's go back now to the original introduction from 1955. The greatest happiness of the thinking man is to have fathomed what can be fathomed. And quietly to reverence what is unfathomable. That was written by the German polymath Goethe. I've made a note here in my margin linked to the word unfathomable. Paul says Christ himself is a mystery or the mystery. And um, Deuteronomy says in 29.29 that the secret things belong to the Lord and the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever and ever. Another passage says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of man to seek it out. So God has placed eternity in our hearts, and He has placed a desire in our hearts for truth. Peter van says that our spirits were created for truth, and that's true. So there's a hunger inside our hearts for truth and for union with God and for discovering ultimate reality. I just want to pray, Father, as we read here, and as we listen, and as we learn, speak to us. Take the seals off your scriptures and open the eyes of our hearts. I'm reminded of Paul's prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you might know the mystery of God's will, the hope of our calling. So speak to us, Lord, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, back to Benakilla. Let's read. When a non-theologian writes a book about the Bible, it is a rare enough occurrence to entitle the reader to ask for some explanation of how the writer managed to make himself master of his subject. As a journalist, I have been for many years exclusively concerned with the results of modern science and research. In 1950, in the course of my ordinary routine work, I came across the reports of the French archaeologists, Professors Parrot and Schaefer, on their excavations at Marie and Ugarit. Cuneiform tablets discovered at Murray on the Euphrates were found to contain biblical names as a result, narratives of the patriarchs, which had been for a long time regarded as merely pious tales, were unexpectedly transferred into the realm of history. So this was nineteen fifty at Ungarit on the Mediterranean. Evidence of the Canaanite worship of Baal had for the first time come to light. By coincidence, a scroll of Isaiah discovered in a cave by the Dead Sea was in the same year dated as pre Christian. These sensational reports, and indeed, in view of the significance of these finds, it is not too much to use the word sensational, awakened in, in me the desire to come to closer grips with Biblical archaeology. The most recent and generally speaking least known province in the field of investigation into the ancient world are therefore ransacked German and foreign literature for a comprehensive and intelligible summary of the results of previous research. I found none For there was none to find. So I went to the sources myself in the libraries of many lands, aided in this bit of real detective work by my wife's enthusiasm, and collected all the hitherto scientifically established results of investigations which were to be found in the learned works of biblical archaeologists. The deeper I went into the matter, the more exciting it became. The door into the historical world of the Old Testament had been already thrown open by a Frenchman, Paul-Emile Botta, in 1843. In the course of excavations at Khorsabad in Mesopotamia, he suddenly found himself confronted by reliefs of Kings, King Sargon II of Assyria. Who ravaged Israel and led its people off into captivity? Accounts of this conqueror's campaigns deal with the conquest of Samaria, which is also described in the Bible for a century now. American, English, French, and German scholars have been digging in the East in the Middle East in Mesopotamia, Palestine, and Egypt. All the nations have founded institutes and schools specifically for this type of research. The Palestine Exploration Fund began in 1869, the German-Palestine Association in 1877, the Dominican École Biblique de Saint-Étienne in 1892, the German Oriental Society followed in 1898. Then in 1900, the American Schools of Oriental Research and in 1901, the German Protestant Institute of Archaeology. In Palestine, places and towns which are frequently mentioned in the Bible are being brought back once more into the light of day. They look exactly as the Bible describes them and lie exactly where the Bible locates them. On ancient inscriptions and monuments, scholars encounter more and more characters from the Old and New Testaments. Contemporary reliefs depict people whom we have hitherto only known by name. Their features, their clothes, their armor take shape before our eyes. Colossal figures and sculptures show us the Hittites with their big noses, the slim, tall Philistines, the elegant Canaanite chiefs with their chariots of iron, which struck terror into the hearts of the Israelites. The kings of Mari, contemporary with Abraham, with their gentle smiles. During the thousands of years that divide us from the Assyrian kings, from them the Assyrian kings have lost nothing of their fierce Forbidding appearance. Tiglath the III, well known as the Old Testament Pool, Sennacherib, who destroyed Lachish and laid siege to Jerusalem, Esaradon, who put King Manasseh in chains, and Ashurbanipal, the great and noble Asnapper of the book. Of Ezra, as they have done to Nineveh and Nimrud, old-time Kala, or to Asher and Thebes, which the prophets called no Ammon. The scholars have also awakened from its ancient slumber the notorious Babel of biblical story with its legendary tower. In the Nile Delta, archaeologists have found the cities of Pithom and Ramses, where the resentful Hebrews toiled as slaves. They have laid bare strata, which tell of the flames and destruction which accompanied the children of Israel on their conquering march into Canaan. In Gibeah, they found Saul's mountain stronghold, whose walls once echoed to the strains of David's harp. At Megiddo they came upon the vast stables of King Solomon who had 12,000 horsemen. From the world of the New Testament reappeared the palatial edifices of King Herod. In the heart of old Jerusalem the pavement was discovered where Jesus stood before Pilate as is mentioned in St. John's Gospel. The seriologists deciphered on the astronomical tables of the Babylonians the exact dates on which the Star of Bethlehem was observed. These breathtaking discoveries, whose significance it is impossible to grasp all at once, make it necessary for us to revise our our views about the Bible. Many events which previously passed for pious tales must now be judged to be historical. Often the results of investigation correspond in detail with the biblical narratives. They do not only confirm them but also illumine the historical situations out of which the Old Testament and the Gospels grew. At the same time the chances and changes of the people of Israel are woven into a lively, colourful tapestry of daily life in the age in which they lived, as well as being caught up into the political, cultural and economic disputes of the nations and empires which struggled for power in Mesopotamia, and on the Nile, from which the inhabitants of the tiny buffer state of Palestine were never able to completely completely to detach themselves for over 2000 years. The opinion has be has been and still is widely held that the Bible is nothing but the story of man's salvation a guarantee of the validity of their faith for Christians everywhere. It is however at the same time a book about things that actually happened Admittedly, in in this sense, it has limitations, in that the Jewish people wrote their history in the light of their relationship to Yahweh, which meant writing it from the point of view of their own guilt and expiation. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, the events themselves are historical facts and have been recorded with an accuracy that is nothing less than startling. Thanks to the findings of the archaeologists, many of the biblical narratives can be better understood now than ever before. There are, of course, the- theological insights which can only be dealt with in terms of the Word of God. But as Professor Andre Parrot, the world famous French archaeologist, has said, how can we understand the Word unless we see it in its proper chronological, historical, and geographical setting. Until now, knowledge of these extraordinary discoveries was confined to a small circle of experts. Only 50 years ago, Professor Friedrich Delitzsch of Berlin was asking, why all this effort in in these distant, barren, and dangerous lands? Why all this costly rummaging among the rubble of past ages when we know there is neither gold nor silver to be found there? Why this mad competition among different countries to get control of these dreary looking mounds for the sole purpose of digging them up? The German scholar Gustav Dahlmann gave him the right answer from Jerusalem itself when he expressed the hope that one day all that the archaeologists had experienced and seen in their scientific labors would be turned to good account and would help to solve the practical problems of school and church. This latter hope has so far, however, remained unfulfilled. No book in the whole history of mankind has had such a revolutionary influence, has so decisively affected the development of the Western world, or had such a worldwide effect as the book of books in the Bible. Today it is translated into 1,120 languages and dialects, 1,660 in 1979, and after 2,000 years gives no sign of having exhausted its triumphal progress. In gathering together and working over the material for this book, which I in no way claim to be complete, it seemed to me that the time had come to share with those who read their bibles and those who do not with churchmen and agnostics alike the exciting discoveries which have resulted from a careful examination of the combined results of scientific investigation along many different lines in view of the overwhelm sorry new sentence in view of the overwhelming mass of authentic and well attested evidence now available as I thought of the sceptical criticism, which from the eighteenth century onwards would fain have demolished the Bible altogether. They kept hammering on my brain this one sentence The Bible is right after all. Here ends the introduction by Werner Keller, written in Hamburg or Hamburg, in September of nineteen fifty five. The next section, the actual start of the book is entitled Digging Up the Old Testament, and then Part 1, The Coming of the Patriarchs from Abraham to Jacob, Chapter 1, In the Fertile Crescent. And the subheadings under that are 4,000 years ago, Continents Asleep, The Great Cradle of Our Civilization. Culture in the ancient east. Staged towers and pyramids had been built long before. Giant plantations on the banks of canals. And Arab tribes attack from the desert. We will look at that in a future episode. God bless you folk and thank you for listening.